podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hello and welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Hey! hey. Beautiful. Uh, it's like those sea shanties that go around Twitter. Um, it's FYP Podcast 367. Uh, and we've got two games to review this week. As Palace got a draw at the Emirates and were beaten at the Etihad. Uh, I'm Jim Daly and joining me this week on the panel, Kevin Day is here. Hello to you. Hello. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, not too bad. I'm all right. Yeah, good. good. Oh, good, good, good. You sound, still cold, you sound in a good yeah. mood. Yeah, give me another four weeks when I start anticipating the spring. I'll be in a terrible <laughs> mood. But at the moment, it's still cold and grey, so I'm happy enough. I thought you were going to say give me another 45 minutes, but uh, we will see how the podcast goes. Uh, returning to the pod, I've always said he was a bit like the Mamadou Saka of the, of the podcast. Plays, <laughs> plays a couple of appearances, massively missed when he's not here, but we're delighted he's back. It's uh, Andy Street. Hello, hello to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is where the comparisons end between you and Mama. Uh, and our final panelist today, I, I guess, if we're doing that theme, sort of the Tyrit Mitchell, maybe of the pod, oh. introduced and just kept his place and become a bit of a regular. Uh, it's Jack Pierce. Hello, oh. Jack. Hello, hello. Thank you for that. Yeah, hey. he's, well, he's, uh, he's, he's in good form, so I'll, I'll take that as a comparison. Thanks very much. Well, no left foot, that, though. No, no, no left foot, though. No left foot. <laughs> Having said that, if we're going to compare Jack to Tyreek Mitchell, can we blame him for not closing Kevin De Bruyne down for the first goal then? <laughs> what started you, already. What were you doing, Jack? What was the matter with you? I was 250 <laughs> miles away, but, you know, I, I tried my hardest. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into any lines of discussion, uh, Kevin, I'm going to do the advert. Just a little heads up now. So the advert is happening. Um, good. Kevin, do you think <laughs> that... Uh, with the the pressure he's under, maybe Roy Hodgson could do with some sort of massage at the moment. I I he looks like a man who needs some knots taken out of his shoulders. I imagine, <laughs> but also he's a man of a certain age, so the word massage probably has a different <laughs> meaning for him. I imagine during his national service, he nipped off for a couple during his during his Korean days. But um, yeah, of course he we could all do a massage in these tents. We times, could. Well, that we? that yeah. has put a. Different spin on this week's advert, but we're going to go with it anyway. Uh, we're, of course, sponsored by Serenity Massage Therapy. Yeah. Again, and we're delighted that they are sponsoring us. They're a leading palace-supporting massage clinic based in Rygate Redhill. Sorry, on the Rygate Redhill borders uh, in Surrey, just 12 minutes from Croydon. If you're suffering with soft tissue pains due to lockdown posture, stress, driving or your team losing 4-0 at the Etihad, then Serenity Massage Therapy are ideal for you as they're changing perception of massages through education while not breaking the bank. Uh, call or text Russ at Serenity Massage Therapy on 07967 203 
714 or email info at serenity-services.co.uk and quote FYP to get up to 25% off for you and your friends and family. That's Serenity Massage Therapy, making the world a more comfortable place, one massage at a time. Let's move on to, um, well, it's time for a shout out to random patrons. So can I get a drum roll, please? Lovely. It's Mr. Stuart Madeley. Hello, hey, Stuart. Well, Hi, Madley, Stuart. Madley, Madley. Stuart, legend. Uh, so thank you for joining our patron. And you can also join and get all the rewards that Stuart does, like the post-match podcast, patron-only merchandise, and access to the patron-only WhatsApp club at patron.com forward slash FYP podcast. Right, Kevin, we have two games to review this week. A nil-nil draw at Arsenal. Pretty impressive performance. And then a 4-0 defeat at City. Less impressive. Going into these games, I know we previewed them on last week's pod. So it's a point from these two games. I don't imagine there were many people expecting much more than that. Maybe two points would have been a good return. What's your thoughts on on these two quick succession of games and the performances uh, therein? And are you you satisfied? Are you left feeling frustrated? Where are you? I think... I think analysis of the Arsenal game is probably more re- relevant if we're discussing where we are at the moment as a club rather than the Man City game. I, I didn't lose any sleep after the Man City game because we were well beaten by a, a much better team. There, yeah, there, there is a question whether after seven seasons in the Premier League we should still be a much less good team than Man City, even with the golf in their, in their finances. I know there's a lot of talk about I saw Man City beat Fulham and I saw Man City beat Brighton and they, those two clubs ended up with the same amount of points as we did. But at least when they had the ball, they did try and work it forward. And it was, it, it, it was slightly frustrating, the City game. But, you know, four for me as well, four individual defensive errors, which I will probably talk about. But I think it was part... Really? I think it was, yeah, I think it was... You know, you know, De Bruyne's cross was magnificent, but no one closed him down. What was Townsend doing on the edge of the box? Uh Tompkins was too easily beaten for the for the third goal, and I will argue with anybody, including Selzy, that the wall was all wrong for the for the free kick because basically he gave Sterling both sides of the goal to to aim at, and Gaeta didn't really know which part of the goal to cover. So, but that's as it was. We deserved to lose four nil. It, it's frustrating that as soon as the first goal goes in, you know we've we've lost. It's frustrating that we didn't really attempt to to hold the ball, move the ball forward. But I think the Arsenal result was a more relevant one. I thought the Arsenal performance, if you look at the Newcastle game last night, when Arsenal fans were furious that they only drew 0-0 with Palace, I think arguably if any team deserved to win that mm. game, we did. Yeah. And the second half last night, Arsenal took Newcastle apart in a way that they didn't They didn't do to us. So it's like, I'll go back to what I said at the start, it, you, you could argue whether we should be so far behind Man City at this stage in our Premier League career, but that's it's not a result that you can be ashamed of to be perfectly honest it's it's like you say it's frustrating but the Arsenal performance was a good one and I would have taken a point from the two of them beforehand to be perfectly honest even you know I know Arsenal technically are a mid-table team like we are but they are still you look at the players they've got up front I thought that was a really good performance I agree and they were on an excellent run well still are on an excellent run as well so that needs to be taken into account I do want to get on to the Arsenal game do either of the two of you want to respond to those points about the faults for those four goals. I actually thought all four goals were faultless, to be honest. I thought they were all great goals, but any yeah, response? Yeah, they were, but they, they, they were allowed to be. I mean, Townsend, what, why was Townsend trying to beat the man on the edge of the box? That was just yeah. that was poor mm, defence. Yeah. We had two players who got nowhere near De Bruyne, who gave him 
time to cross the ball with the outside of his right foot. The wall was wrong and Tompkins was was too easily beaten. They were all good goals, but they were all too easy to score. I guess, as as Celsius says, there's normally at least one or two mistakes that do lead to a goal. The De Bruyne one is, I'd imagine he was trying to block the cross of the inside of his foot, but De Bruyne is so good that he could cross the ball with any part of his foot. So mm. I guess there is always that. Um, Andy, what are your thoughts on... We won't, we won't dwell on City too long. We will get to the Arsenal game because Kevin's right, it's better performance. But your thoughts on those goals? Uh, well, I thought they were fantastic finishes. Um, I, I tend to agree that you know, it's, it's a pretty rare goal that has no mistakes in the lead up to it. Yeah. Uh, that said, there were obviously some mistakes that ought to have been avoided in the phase of play that was immediately before those pretty sensational finishes, frankly. Um, it, I mean, it was just one of those slightly predictable results in games, really, wasn't it? I mean, I, I have to admit that halfway through the second half, I actually started doing some work. <laughs> <laughs> so that probably shows my lack of faith that we were going to do anything to get back into the game. And um, uh, you, you're always going to be... The, if you play the, the type of uh, game that Palace do play under Roy Hodgson, you're always going to be under the cosh against a team like Man City. And frankly, most teams who aren't in the top six are going to be under the cosh against Manchester City. And you need just a phenomenal amount of luck to get a good result against them. Um, as Sells, he likes to remind people on, on the post-match podcast in respect of Manchester City, when we did beat them up there 3-2, with 3-2? 3-2 yeah. um, a couple of seasons ago, we had three shots on target in the, in the entire game. So you, you, need a, you need a really good rub of the green in order to do anything up there. Um, and it was just one of those, I got to the end of it, and like Kevin, I was, you know, I wouldn't say apathetic but or indifferent, but not certainly all that upset by it. Yeah, the thing is, Jack, that both obviously Wilf was missing for the second game, uh, a late omission uh, with a little an injury that he apparently picked up in the Arsenal game. But the approach to both games is fairly similar, as the guys have said. We know what you're going to get from a Roy team away to a, in theory, top six team. I know Arsenal were mid table at the moment, so the approach is fairly similar to both to both of them. And yet, after the Arsenal game, we're all praising a dogged resolute performance and after the City game everyone's frustrated we've lost 4-0 and, and and on that we do have a question from CPSC Barbarian I want to put it to you he says sorry CPSC Barbarian 1861 so we know where he stands on the history of Palace <laughs> he says would you rather lose 4-0 not trying or 6-2 giving it a go heck <laughs> he really is from 1861 <laughs> heck if you go out trying you might even win 2-1 but the only option Roy gave us was a rear guard 0-0 and yet three days earlier that was a Decent nil-nil. Yeah, I think the difference for me between the two games is um, obviously Wilf's absence, but also, um, you know, with Wilf missing, he puts in MacArthur, uh, sorry, McCarthy instead of IU to join Benteke. So not having Wilf or Benteke um, made us very different to the team that went out against Arsenal. Um, and yeah, the, Mr. Barbarian is completely right in that um, nil-nil was probably the best we could have hoped for with that lineup. Although within the first 15 minutes, we did at least enter their kind of final third, which was more promising than I thought. But as soon as the the first goal went in, really on a hiding to nothing, we didn't have the players on the pitch really to be um, kind of moving our shape around to provide any increased threat. So I, you know, whether it was 1-0, finish 1-0, or finish 4-0 as it did, you know, the nil for Palace was, was unlikely to really change that much. Um, I do agree with the issue about some of the goals, not so much the goals themselves, they were, you know, superb finishes, but some of our play in the phase before the goals where we have possession of the ball an hour and a half and end up giving away, you know, corners or, you know, dangerous positions for them. We could be better in those phases of play. I think MacArthur was guilty for, for the first goal. And I think Luke is guilty for the third goal. So, you, you know, we could be better there, but 
you know, whether we lose 2-0 at City or 4-0 at, at City, I think come the start of the season or beginning or the end of the season, I don't think anybody would really, really mind. It wouldn't be a shock result either way, really. I think the shock results have been a 3-2 win a couple of years ago and a 2-2 draw last year. I think, you know, our, our kind of luck at the Etihad has, has perhaps run its course for the time being. Well, everyone was talking about our good record because we're, we're unbeaten in our last five trips to Manchester, all told. And everyone was talking about our really good record against Man City. But our really good record against Man City is nine defeats in the last 12 games. <laughs> so we remember the nil-nil and the 3-2, but we forget the fact that they tend to batter us up there. I thought the difference between the Arsenal game and the Man City game is in the first hour at Arsenal, when when Arsenal's attacks broke down, we, we, tra- we tried... To, to counter-attack, we tried to break, we tried to get forward and, and use the ball and keep it and, and be progressive. And we simply couldn't do that against Man City, whether that was whether that was tiredness, whether it was a lack of a proper target man to, to get it up to, to give him the rest, whether it was just an, an ageing midfield three that aren't particularly creative anyway. But it's it's that frustration again when you we we concede the first goal we lose the game and that's not only against man city that's the problem but mm-hmm. i mean the other good thing is the the arsenal clean sheet that was our, that was two clean sheets in a row in the league and we we had only had one before that and that was just that, the very first game of the season so that was a a progressive thing because the thing we forget is people keep saying yeah we're solid in defence we're well organised we've been conceding goals all over the place <laughs> So, yeah. so that's not actually true statistically. So it's just that we've actually scored a few more goals this season. And the, the thing is, as Streety said after the game, you only have to look at the league table. We're not in any particular... Unusually for this time of the season when we would be looking over our, our shoulder and worrying about goal difference, it's not particularly an issue this season. So we're clearly not a bad team. But I, it, it's like somebody said about Newcastle last night, like staying in the Premier League is a good business plan, but it's not necessarily a good entertainment plan. You know what I mean? There are ways and ways of doing it, you know. Yeah, that, that is true. And we are, you know, we talked about Leeds earlier. We are, there are other teams doing it differently, although they are also on a terrible run. Yeah. Weirdly, since they sent that tweet out about Karen Carney. Um, but it is, we do, and we do get questions about the, the, the style of play, Andy, every week. Andy, uh, Andy Watkinson, has said this right. week, have we ever been this dull to watch other than under Peter Taylor, which is, wow, that is some accusation. Um, but I would argue in in that Arsenal game, as Kevin says, there were patches where we looked really good. I thought Benteke had a particularly good yeah. game up front and uh, Eze and Wilf looked, looked really busy. So, And we have to take into account that these were two games against tough teams away from home, three days apart. So we don't know if Benteke, you know, picked up a niggle or something or wasn't quite feeling the same for the second game. There's going to be rotation issues. But is it, Andy, is it really this dull? And can it be better? That's a pretty subjective assessment for every fan, really, isn't it? I mean, Selzy tells you that he's not remotely unimpressed or unentertained by any of the games that we have, no matter uh, the result or anything about it. Others say that they are um, not at all entertained by what's offered up. And to a certain extent, I guess, if you're watching your team not have much of the ball and then when they do have bits of the ball, they're not as sparky in possession or as accurate in the limited passes they're going to have to make as a team has to be if they play that sort of counter-attacking football. It can be quite a difficult watch. Um, whether or not it, people find it dull, you know, that's, that's, that's up to them individually. I, I must confess that there are some games where I don't find it the, the most enthralling to watch Jordan Ayew ploughing alone, Faro, um, and I'm sure some others feel the same. Equally, 
on a more pragmatic basis, I can see occasionally why we're set up the way that we are. So, you know, as I've said on, on a number of occasions on this podcast before, it's all about trade-offs. Um, some fans are saying that in respect to the Manchester City game, it would have been great to have given it more of a go, like, for example, Brighton did and Fulham did recently. Equally, those teams are significantly more in danger than Palace and still came out with, with losses. So, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm not, that's a very long-winded way of saying I'm not going to answer that for every single person. Um, but, but some of the games can be a slightly difficult watch, I would say. Can I just point out that Celsius is the most easily entertained bloke I've ever met in my life? <laughs> I once he watched the squirrel for three minutes once and just laughed for three minutes. He's like, it doesn't take a lot to entertain he, he cells. Just finds beauty honest. in the world. Yeah, he does. He finds. Maybe we should get the yeah, squirrel started. Yeah, and and to be fair, Ayu plows a furrow really, really well. I'd love yeah, love to does. see him do it with a ball at his feet. That'd be great. <laughs> that would be the ideal thing. If we were in the in the Premier League furrow ploughing competition, we'd be. I, th- I thought the Ayu thing was an odd one for me. To be perfectly honest, I, you'd have played Benteke. I would have, yeah, I would have played Benteke. Notwithstanding what Jack says, you know, two difficult away games. You know, you don't know how fit they are. You don't know the circumstances of virus illness and whatever within any particular group. But I would, it would have made more sense to play Benteke. It would have at least given us. You didn't have to be creative then. You can just get the ball forward to Benteke, and, and even if he's not scoring, he can still hold the ball really well. I mean, they'd have to hold it for a long time by the time our elderly midfield players get up to him. But he can do that. And I, I spent more time defending than he did attacking. And I think it's a. I watched the Palace highlights yesterday, seven. And when your own club highlights only have one shot, and that was Eze's yeah. speculative lob early in the game, that's that's pretty damning, really. Because normally the the guy who does the Palace highlights, it does a brilliant. I'm fairly sure he cuts in things from other games, <laughs> just to, just to look like shots and targets. But this time, even he or she couldn't couldn't be asked. Basically, so that's not a, that's not a good sign, is it? Really? No, no, but I think you're right about are you being in there for his defensive work? We know how much Roy appreciates that from from players. And he actually, Jack, much, he, yeah, sorry, he was very much the first defender in that game, yeah. rather yeah. than kind of yeah. the lone frontman. Indeed, yeah, and you, you you half expect that. John Dodds has sent us a question. Um saying. <laughs> Bat- Batsman or are you? Pretty sure Bats would have taken that shot in the first half. I think Jack, there was a chance where are you sort of looked to pass it rather than shoot. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, in that particular instance, yes, Batshuayi probably would have taken the shot first time, but I don't think Batshuayi would have offered the kind of defensive resolve that are you showed at times during the game. Not that that's what ideally you're looking for from your striker, but if that's how we're setting up, I don't think Batshuayi quite does what what are you does. Um, I think. One thing I'd like to make, mention about our, our attack in that game is we were up against a very, very good defence. Um, yeah. You know, whether or not we had gone all guns for all, you know, all, all guns going for it. Um, you know, Diaz and Stone to the back have, have formed a very good partnership at the back. Carl Walker is, you know, if, if he's anything, he's very fast. So he's good against the break, which was perhaps something we were relying on. Um, and I, I just feel that, you know, the expectation that if we'd gone for it a bit more, we might have had a chance of picking something up. I, I I don't think it would have improved our chances that much of 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 anything other than perhaps making it five or six and us being picked off on the break a bit more. But yeah, I mean it is disappointing when you put up such a defensive performance. I remember Rafa Benitez got in a lot of trouble with Newcastle fans a few years ago for doing mm. it. And but for me, if we did that just against teams like Man City, I would think the criticism of Roy would be very unfair. But the fact we set up so defensively in games like Brian at home as we did this season, that's where I think fans tire of that approach because. Fans, you know, rightly or wrongly, might consider 
Brian at home a fixture where we should be setting up so defensively. So, you know, some fans might think that Roy's only got a few cards to play defensively. And perhaps people think he's already over overplayed that card this year. But yeah, I, I just think City is a game where you do have to be a bit more sensible. And Roy's approach on Sunday night was sensible. It's just we got we got turned over. Can anyone tell me why we bothered getting Batshuayi in? Because there doesn't seem to be any circumstances at all in which Batshuayi starts a game. And it, it just occurs to me that he probably wanted Loftus cheek in and couldn't get him, so decided we had to get someone. And we've got, we've got, we say this week after week, we've got an international striker sitting on the bench who doesn't get an opportunity to start the game. What, uh, no matter who, home away against whatever level of opposition, it, it baffles me. It really does. It's Max Meyer, it baffles me that. We managed to break Max Meyer, who Joachim Love described <laughs> as the most. But Joachim Love described him as the most creative player of his generation in Germany. And we bring him in, and we can't find anything to do with him. It's. It, I think it was again, wrong club, wrong time for him. Well, it was. It baffles me. It, it, the, those people who are blaming uh, Meyer for that baffle me as well. It's like it's it, we we bring talent in, creative talent, and we seem to have no idea whatsoever how to utilise him. It's as simple as that, and that. I, I, just, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm, and I'm not aiming this criticism at any one particular person in, in the setup. But somewhere there's a man, there's a failure of management because we simply can't incorporate talented players in, in our team. I think that, I think there's, there's a difference between Max Meyer and uh, Batshuayi. Batshuayi's already proven in this team he can score goals and, and play well and in the Premier League. Uh, and there is definitely a question to be asked as why he's not featuring as much. And you, you do wonder if he, those three games in a row where he scored those three offside goals, which were all pretty marginal, had gone our way, then you know would Batshuayi be more of a fixture in the team? Quite possibly. And you know I, I don't I don't know how much that influences picking. Well, it wasn't uh, much Benteke, Benteke doesn't score any goals, and he's he's more of a fixture. In the <laughs> he's team, got three so this season. That's there's, good no, for him. there's no logic to that. It wasn't much of a secret though that Batshuayi doesn't offer a whole deal of stuff outside of the box. Like he's a very clinical striker, and you know when he gets a chance, he he will hit the target um, and and sometimes score. But you know in terms of him becoming that kind of dynamic lone striker from you know the opponents or from the halfway line onwards, he he didn't show us that he could do that when he was on loan last time. But, you know, his loan signing did make a lot of sense in that we needed another striker in to add depth. Um, we needed someone perhaps to hit the ground running. And in that he knew the squad and he knew the, the surroundings, it did make sense, but it just hasn't worked out for whatever reason. Um, and I can't see really the role that he plays where it works between now and the end of the season, to be honest. I think come the end of the season, unless Roy changes tact, I think it's going to look like a pretty miserable <laughs> season permission. Well, it would, it, it, you, you've answered my question. Why do we bring a player in who's who's good in the box, a good striker when he gets the ball in the box, when we don't get strikers in the box and we don't get the ball in the box? So that's a it's a pointless waste of time. We're just paying his wages, which are quite substantial, for, and not playing him. It's, again, I just don't understand it. Yeah, well, actually, we had a question on that theme from Dougie Keeley, Dougie Kiley. <laughs> I wonder Kiley. which Dougie you're going to say then. <laughs> <laughs> if that Dougie's asking us questions, we really are in trouble. <laughs> I bought a striker on loan. I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> what do you reckon, lads? <laughs> Streety, how do I get him out of his contract, <laughs> He says, how much do we now regret not taking Gallagher instead of Batshuayi from Chelsea? It was obviously proven to be quite yeah. good at West Brom. That, I think that's, that's hindsight for you, I think, isn't it? Um, and when you're not scoring goals and you know we, do, we don't create a lot of goals compared to other teams that will score a lot of goals, there are going to be questions asked, of course. You know, there's always going to be questions asked about formation and team. We get them a lot. 
We had another one here from Robbie Scotcher, which I think is probably Hi, more pertinent to the last two games, which says, Afternoon, gents, who's your first team, first player on the team sheet in central midfield? Mine is Gyro. Baffles me why he doesn't get a run of good games. I think Andy, possibly some people might have thought that Gyro might have got the nod maybe at Man City for the second game on Sunday. And to be fair to Gyro, has been doing pretty well when called upon so far this season. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Come on. I'm just going to look at you. Come on. <laughs> Well, I, I, I have no idea why he's not being picked. Um, so I wouldn't like to necessarily speak to that point all that much. He was excellent earlier in the season. Um, the games are now coming particularly thick and fast, it, it feels and seems. And it seemed to me to be asking quite a lot of James MacArthur, for example, to play against the team of Arsenal's Ilk on mm. a Thursday and then against the team of Manchester City's on a Sunday. So, yeah, it, it was surprising. But... Um, who knows? Frankly, who knows? Can we just check where the knocking's coming from? Because I'm worried it's Selsey trying to get out of JD's no, cupboard. I, sorry, I think my neighbours downstairs are doing some work. Is it, it's, it's coming oh. through, is it? <laughs> little tiny bit, yeah. It's like Moore's code. It's, like, it's an entertaining squirrel. <laughs> Uh, right, I tell you what, let, let's take a break there. We'll move on to part two where we've got questions from our listeners. Uh, so join us in a bit. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Welcome back to the 5 Plan Podcast. Hey, hey, isolation. Po- isolation. <laughs> Beautiful. Sponsored this week by Serenity Massage Therapy, making the world a more comfortable place one massage at a time. Call or text Russ at Serenity Massage Therapy on 07967 203 714 or email info at serenity-services.co.uk and quote FYP to get up to 25% off for your friends and family. Uh, pod 367, uh, it's time for questions from our listeners. Um, let's go to, well, Kevin, we've got a lot of questions about Roy and his future. We, we tend to dodge these questions most weeks, but uh, there has been uh, speculation in the press about... Eddie Howe and Sean Dyche being their odds getting cut to be manager and whispers that uh, Roy's contract might not be renewed at the end of the season. So I guess we do have to sort of pay a nod to it a little bit. Uh, let's have a look. Um, Magic Cheese 72. Oh, Magic. I'm Magic Cheese. Do, do, <laughs> do we think it's time that Roy goes upstairs and then he's put in brackets himself, whatever that means? Get a younger manager in, like Scott Parker. Oh, I haven't seen mm. his name. Linked, uh, to mentor with the help of a vocal Ray, or assisted by Jedi, or maybe Cahill, someone who knows the club. Uh, as ever, love the pod and the Pardews Hot Pants series. Thank you very much. And on a similar theme, Daniel J. Edwards says, would it not be better to bring in a manager now so they have the rest of the season to assess what's needed and what 
dead wood instead of starting from scratch come the end of the season. Uh, and what are your thoughts on that? And, and obviously the, the Eddie Howe rumours are starting to, to, to circulate a bit more, Kevin. I don't think we'll be changing our manager before the end of the season because there's no need to if you look at the league table despite our criticisms of the way we play football at the moment, which is not fantastic. Um, I don't see why Sean Dyche would leave Burnley now. They've just been taken over. He's probably the first time in his years at Burnley that he'll be given some money to spend in the transfer market. Eddie Howe relegated the last team he was at and I understand has issues with a lot of club owners in the Premier League because he's quite a demanding manager. He'd want to bring in, he would want to change the management team 100%, I guess. Um, I don't think at the moment any club in the Premier League is willing to spend the sort of money it would take to A, break a contract now and B, bring in a new manager. We're not going to spend any money in the transfer window, so that's, that's not a, a consideration. And and I think we will. I'd, I'd hate to say this, but I think we will stay up. Whether Roy is the manager next season, I don't know. I think I've, we've said this before. I think Steve Parrish would be very, very reluctant to be the man who sacked Roy Hodgson from what will inevitably be his last mm. management job. I think most Palace fans would be happy to see Roy stay at the club in some sort of role. I'd I'd rather see Scott Parker, to be perfectly honest. If we are talking new managers, then. Scott Parker would argue probably that he's at a club with as much potential if Fulham stay up as as we have. Certainly Fulham are more entertaining to watch, but they're also a way behind us in the table, basically. And and until until Brighton won at Leeds, and Leeds are increasingly looking like they're gonna possibly if any team in the mid table is going to be dragged into it, until Brighton won at Leeds, you know, Tim Sherwood was happily saying before the Leeds game that Brighton will go down because I know quite a few Brighton fans who don't like the way they play because they don't they don't tend to score goals at the end of their pretty pot of ball football. So Newcastle fans, well, yeah, we're not we're not the only unhappy football fans at the moment. Uh, you, probably anywhere outside from West Ham down, most fans will be unhappy. West Ham are a good example, I think. No, you know, people, West Ham fans complain like anything when Moyes came in, but it's taken Moyes a season to go from dour, defensively well organised to. Dower defensively well organised and quite good going forward. Yeah. And and getting yeah, going. They bought the sort of player in Suchek that we probably would have been looking at, but West Ham are quite good to watch. So that's that's my worry with the, the whole Roy Hodgson argument. It's not it's not binary. It's not either we defend for our lives or we go gung ho. There is a there is a happy medium. I wouldn't be particularly happy if Roy went and either Eddie Howe or Sean Dice came in, to be perfectly honest. I wouldn't see them as as progressive steps. And also as as I'm sure other people will point out, look what happened the last time we tried to be progressive and interesting and sophisticated. We got yeah. a manager in that, that lost seven games on the row and was completely baffled by what was going on around him. Baffled seems to be the word of the day today, doesn't it? <laughs> um, I, I, I want to know how many practical examples there are of, and this is something that you see quite a lot online from football fans, of a manager being, quote, moved upstairs, unquote. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, um, it's, I, I think it must just be the the way that fans grapple with the I'd like to sack this person, but yeah. I don't want to be particularly mean to them <laughs> kind of thing. Which I quite like it, and yeah. Yeah. I I just think that it's probably not all that realistic to expect someone who's been told you're not good enough to do this job, but we'd like you to supervise someone else doing this job yeah, that you're yeah. not good enough for to then supervise the person doing the job and their replacement. Um, so it's one of those fan cliches that you hear quite a lot, but which I don't think makes any sense whatsoever. I'm afraid. Yeah, especially if you get a manager in who's got a completely different playing style to you. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. Well. yeah, yeah. Because you, uh, 
you know, I, I imagine they would, they would they would probably would offer him some kind of executive, you know, Mark Bright's assistant type role. I don't know how it, <laughs> how it works entirely, but they would offer him. I think they would. I, I'm I'm serious when I say I don't think Steve Parrish wants to be the man to end Roy Hodgson's career. And I think whatever happens, Palace will give Roy the opportunity to do to do the ending of his of his career himself. And and and, and when Roy does leave Palace and football, he will be looked back on for the most part with great affection by most football fans except Liverpool and England because the two biggest jobs he's taken are the two jobs that were slightly beyond him in terms of, of capabilities, I think. Yeah. Go on, Jack, you had a point? Yeah, I was just going to say about uh, Hodgson probably might not feel especially comfortable sitting upstairs given that when he was at Liverpool, and yeah, Kevin's right, it was an absolute disaster of a spell, but um, I remember Kenny Dalglish sitting upstairs yeah. and, uh, yeah. you know, weekly denials from the club saying it's anything to do with Roy's future and he's just there as an ambassador. Mm. And then, you know, lo and behold, as soon as Roy's gone, it's Kenny Dalglish in the dugout. So Hodgson mm. might not feel especially comfortable with that role. I don't know. I mean, you know, last week, or there's been quotes attributed to, to Roy saying, you know, I'm keen to continue. Um, that doesn't necessarily have to be at Palace. I'm sure there are opportunities that would present themselves to Roy. Yeah. Um, but they might not be. I think a lot of people have maybe made the conclusion that Roy's job at Palace will be his last because of the I don't know, romantic notion of the Croydon boy in Croydon, that type of thing. He is 73, 74, possibly. Mm. You know, he, how many opportunities will come his way? I don't know. But such as his experience, I'm sure jobs would, um, you know, if he wants to stay in the game, be presented to him. I don't know what standard and what level they would be. Um, but he is out of contract at the end of the season. And, you know, that might mean that Parrish is more comfortable with letting that contract expire and then, you know, mutual parting of the ways. Um, I, I agree with Kevin. I don't think Parrish wants to be the man to, to tell Roy it's over. Um, but equally, if he's out of contract at the end of the season and there's a lot of requirements for the, for the squad to be moved on, it makes a lot of sense for Roy to go. Well, the, the, to be honest, whoever the manager is, and, and you know, I hate being at ageism as much as I hate all the other ages, but it's it's not the, the age of Roy that matters at the moment, it's the age of the squad. That's the big, that's the big problem where I think eight of our players were over the age of 30 who started on... On Sunday night, Wilf's twenty-eight now. Whereas we we need we need fresher legs. We need younger players in there. It's as, it's as simple as that. And of course, that's a lot easier said than done. But we we have to. We simply because otherwise, if we if we don't make a drastic change soon, we'll find ourselves with the same squad in two years' time, two years older, and eventually something will give. They won't be able to keep us up for another two years without a, a real strengthening and freshening of the squad. And I say that as somebody who thinks that this is the best squad we've had for a long time, but. You know, look, yeah, Wardy, God bless him. But look at the, the back four on on Sunday between them. Cahill comes in and comes out. Tompkins is still not fully fit. Wardy's not our first choice, and they're all they're all the wrong side of thirty. Well, you know? on that theme, then, Kevin, let's move on to questions about the January transfer window. It is January nineteenth as we record now. I mean, there's been pretty much zero rumours or anything flying around it's been an incredibly quiet window not just for us but for all teams you suspect Covid having a huge impact on that possibly Brexit as well but it is a weird time for football clubs and transfers at the moment um but we have had a few questions from listeners I know a lot of Palace fans and our listeners are keen for Palace to do some sort of business or at least maybe sort things out for the summer now so Lee Ayres has sent us a question And Lee says, as a weirdo who didn't think the City performance was that bad, but did highlight certain areas of weakness, e.g. Andros, for all his undoubted effort, was ineffectual and gave the ball away too much. So if you could bring in one player in January, what position would you fill? And is it 
is not having a pod after a good result, but waiting till we get slaughtered. <laughs> Typical FYP. <laughs> Hashtag corner turning optional. Um, so thanks very much, uh, Lee. Um, Kevin, yeah, what area of the pitch would you... F- I mean, most of the rumours at the moment, I'll come on to one in a minute, uh, sort of specific named player, are up front. That tend to be the area for you that Palace need to strengthen, ideally? <laughs> no. Something, something creative right. in central midfield. And and some energy at centre back would be. I, I think we've got players who can score goals if they're given the ball and the means to do so. And that's what we haven't got in midfield. We've got w- willing runners. You know, uh, Streety was reluctant to answer your question about Riedewald. Partly, he said because of the way you asked it. Um, and I'm doing jury duty next week. I'm really hoping that Street is one of the, the defending lawyers. Well, you know how they often say there are um, no stupid it, questions. It, there it, are stupid questions, and JD asked one of them. There yeah. are, yeah, 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 yeah. But Reed, you know, for me, Riedervald is an option that I can't believe we overlook week in, week out because he's got both the energy and the creativity. But we need we need somebody in the midfield. We need somebody to get the ball to the to the forwards, and you know, because Benteke, Batshuayi, Zaha, and Eze. I think they've got goals in them, but unless they get the ball in in positive areas and unless they get the ball in front of them, they're not going to score those goals. And it's like, as Jack says, we've got a striker who can score goals in the box, but doesn't get the opportunity to be in the box because he's not on the pitch. And if he was, he wouldn't be getting crosses or, yeah. I mean, that De Bruyne cross, for example, look the two crosses in the the Tottenham game against Fulham. Magnificent crosses of the sort that we just don't see from our, from our players. But I, I don't think... I know there's, there's rumours about a French striker from... And Mr. Jean-Philippe Mateta. I, yeah, I don't think... I, I'll be amazed if we do any business, to be perfectly honest. And of course, uh, Palace fans want somebody to come in because they want somebody to come in. As simple as that. It's, it's, you know, I, I don't think we'll do any business. Along with most Premier League clubs, I don't think we'll do any business at all at all I don't think we'll we'll get players maybe one or two players will be taken off the books but I wouldn't expect anything in well, or out I don't know what Sky Sports are going to do then for the rest of the month but <laughs> I'm sure they'll find some way of filling it um, Jack Good. just on Mateta he does seem to be the one prominent name linked to Palace at the moment and I know it's a rumour from last summer possibly even last January it's been going on for a while I've actually done a bit of research on Mr Mateta I know, I know that is shocking for most of our listeners uh, wow. 10 goals in 17 appearances in all competitions this season for a relegation-threatened team in Mines. 23 years old, two and a half years left on his contract, which is why uh, Mines would like a sizable fee. And in fact, there's a quote from their director, Reuven Schroeder, who told Bild, the German football mag- uh, newspaper, if an outrageous offer comes in, we would then need to sit down and discuss it. We rejected something last winter, and in the summer too. Outrageous offers aren't necessarily the way Palace do business, are they? I was going to say it's not our uh, it's not our strong suit to be outrageous in our bidding. Um, so I I think it's unlikely we'll do anything now. But I think Mike's have a bit of a reputation for kind of turning rough diamonds into mm. into valuable players. I think they um, they made some money from from Everton. Uh, the, the midfielder Gabim, I think um, he hasn't really played for Everton much, but they they made a lot of money on him having picked him up from. From France, I think Mateta came through the Lyon Academy, so there's you know there's pedigree there in that he's come through a, a top club. His stats do look good. He, I think he's got a hat trick earlier this season. So sure, yeah, he's he's the type of player that you know you'd hope we would be looking at. But totally with Kevin, I just can't see us bidding for anyone this this summer, this window, let alone you know extravagant, outrageous bids. Um, happy to be you know shown otherwise, but I just can't see it in the current climate. 
Do we think Mateta's better or not better than Mishy Batshuayi? Uh, he seems to have more to his game. It still looks as though, from what I've seen of him, and it is minimal in terms of clips, but it looks like he can take the ball from deeper um, and run at defenders, which I haven't really seen from from Batshuayi. Um, and I think he's he's a bit younger, so you know you might get a bit a bit of a better return on your um, on your investment. But yeah, it's going to be sizable. And I think when Mike's mean sizable, I think they're talking twenty million plus. Yeah, which seems to be honest seems to be the default kind of setting now for any or default price for any sort of player, uh, really in yeah. the Premier League. Um, we will see then what Palace do in terms of business <laughs> in the next eleven days or whatever it is. Um, but I think, like the two of you said, there it would be probably be a shock if anything major happened. Um, let's rattle through a few more questions then before we preview next Tuesday's game, Tuesday 6pm mm. isn't, isn't the Premier League wonderful um, against West Ham, here's a question from uh, I'm going to ask it to Andy, so I'm going to try and pick it because they are a lot of closed questions here, so let's have a look to make sure I actually get a proper answer That's right, I can deal with them all very quickly though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ask him all of them <laughs> um, You did say rattle through I did <laughs> Yeah, go on, rattle through, quick fire come Okay, on. this one's from Jamie Penston Raja Oh, Jamie. Hello, Jamie. One of our regulars. Eze is our best signing since dot 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 question mark. Zaha. Mm. Uh, let's go, Kevin. Kevin. Yeah, yeah, Zaha. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought this was the Andy Street quick fire. Well, so he's was... done his one answer. So he's, I was, he's... I was... Full, full house. Yeah, full house. Very good. Okay, fair enough. Well, I'll say Zaha as well. Give him four out of four. Uh, all right, Andy. Let's try this one from Stephen Martin. Hi, Stephen. You're going to hate this question. (laughs) Which player cares the most? It's quite (laughs) difficult to tell at the moment. (laughs) I don't have the available. I don't have the available information to answer that question. (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know. You'd, You'd have to ask them all what's what's in their heads and their hearts. I mean, is there? I I I guess this this is. I would link this to. And I nearly made a point in part one about it, sort of general fan frustration at the moment, because I think certainly after that City game, Palace online community seems to be quite a frustrated place at the moment, and people are getting very frustrated. And I think this is the sort of question that you'd normally ask in the pub after the game and and chat about rather than going straight on on Twitter, because it's not really a case of players caring or not caring. Players are professionals and jobs, and they do their job, and they cross the white line, and they try their hardest, and they try and get the win bonus, and they crack on, but... It is difficult at the moment, Andy, isn't it, for fans, I think, to even have a, a normal experience of watching football from watching at home all the time. I've, I've actually, I'm generally finding myself getting a little bit, uh, not apathetic, but less emotional about the games because we're just watching from home and we're not at the stadium, we're not in the pub with our mates. So, yes, I think Stephen might be being a bit facetious to this question, but you can kind of understand... The frustrations behind it, no, the fans absolutely. are having yeah, a yeah. good experience. I, I, I completely agree with that. It is, it's strange watching the games in the manner that we do. Um, let's be honest, we, we don't support Crystal Palace because of their world-leading footballing ability or uh, the entertainment on show generally or the fact that they play in the world's biggest stadium. It's as it's, it's much due to sense of community kinship with others sense of place and all that sort of stuff that we can't now experience because it's not the same watching it on television um everyone is because of the nature of uh, what's happened in this country over the last and the world over the last um year 
is you know pretty frustrated with lots of things and unfortunately whereas football used to be a form of escapism where you would you know leave leave your place of work or your home if things weren't so good at home or so good at your place of work and um surround yourself with like-minded individuals at palace before and after and during and be able to get away from it all now it's actually all part of the same experience isn't it so um yeah i've got a lot of sympathy for people who are finding it a frustrating and slightly joyless experience Sorry to hear things are not so good at home, Andy. That's have you have you met toddlers? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's a, it's it's a valid question from Stephen, but you might as well ask which fan cares the most. To be perfectly yeah. honest, you can't define these things. I, I and also, and also, <laughs> footballers. The thing is, footballers are playing for their place and their salary. Football, you know, does if Patrick van Arnold played for Palace on, against Man City on Sunday, would he care about what he was doing? Yes, of course he would. If he's transferred to West Brom next week, would he care about winning for West Brom? Yeah, of course he would. Yeah, but they're they're employed by the club. They're, they they will give a hundred percent commitment. Yeah, and, and, but there are sometimes you look at Wilf's body language and demeanour. Sometimes it doesn't always give the impression that he cares about the club. But we know that he does one hundred percent. So you can't. I don't think you can judge by the the, the look on Selzy. That Selzy, you really need to let Selzy out of that cupboard. That yeah. really I that Is that being entertained that's, that's, by a beluga whale? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's quite quite a noise under my feet as well. Unbelievable. I, yeah, you know me. I can be quite cynical at times, but I don't believe any footballer doesn't. His teammates simply wouldn't allow it if they didn't yeah. give a hundred percent. But whether that's the same as caring, I I don't know. And you know, you'll get the odd player like Damien Delaney or Mile who who absolutely look like they care on the pitch. And when you interview them and talk to them, it seems like they they absolutely care on the pitch as well. But once they move to another club, they will absolutely care about that club that's paying their wages as as well. You know, it's, it's... I, I remember I remember an interview with David James um, back when I think it was when he's playing at Portsmouth, and he said. Um, what football fans don't appreciate is that for footballers, it, for some footballers at least, it is very much their job. Yeah, of course. Um, and you know, for fans, particularly when we could go to games, a lot of their social activities are based upon fixtures. And you know, you might know the next ten fixtures ahead because of plans you have associated with that game. For a lot of footballers, they don't really know who they're playing until that the previous game's over. Yeah. Because it's, in, in terms of professionally, they've only prepared for that one game, so they don't know that they've got Wigan away or you know. Bournemouth at home, whoever they might have, they're, they're not familiar with that. So I think the essence of care from a football fan's perspective, and I sometimes remind myself of this, is entirely different to, to what the players um, are kind of talking about. As you, you know, you talked about previously, you know, players, they do care. It's their profession. They don't want to, even if you just think about it from a monetary point of view, you know, if we don't perform well and, and possibly relegate, that's likely to incur a, you know, a decrease in their salary. So they do care. I mean, if you want a name, I think James MacArthur probably, you know, is the most vocal of our current players on the pitch and, you know, shows a lot of care for the youngsters and stuff. But I don't think there's anyone that turns out for Palace this season that you could say does not care. Yeah, I saw an interview with Wilf recently and he says, I think he's got a photo of him scoring against Brighton at the top of his stairs. And that's yeah. obviously not the action of a player that doesn't care about yeah, playing for Palace and goals for Palace. But as I said before, we're in a weird time at the moment. It's probably weird for the players as well. I think we're all sort of experiencing a different type of football at the moment in terms of watching or playing. And so it is it is difficult and it is weird. And I do appreciate that. And I think that is adding to a lot of fans' frustrations online. And and while I might not necessarily share some of the viewpoints, I do understand why people are getting annoyed at the moment. So mm. hopefully we'll be able to all experience football in a different way at some point. Um 
Let's move on to part three. Before we do that, Kevin, we've got one more question that I think is for you. Yes. It's from Rob Cormack Carpentry. Hi, Rob. He says, I'll be very nervous the next time Kevin is on TalkSport a few hours before a Palace game. I, I... Please, please turn down the phone call if we're playing Brighton. <laughs> the, the, the last three times. I've, I, I do TalkSport quite a lot, and I love doing the show with Max Rushton and Barry Glendening. Uh mainly because they're very untalked sport shows. But mm. the last three times I've been on previewing games, we have now lost by an aggregate of 13-0. Wow. Yeah, so 2-4... Two, two, no, no, 15-0, I beg your pardon. 2 4 nils and a 7. So, wow. yes, I, I, a lot of Palace fans have pointed out that maybe I should... I like the fact that people think I'm somehow significant in the universe's way of treating Palace, but, you know... Well, news now definitely do, because you'll probably be quoted yeah. on that very soon. Um... Let's take a break, and in part three, we're going to preview Palace's game against West Ham. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the 5 Pound Podcast. Sponsored this week by Serenity Massage Therapy, making the world a more comfortable place one massage at a time. Call or text Russ at Serenity Massage Therapy on 07967 203 714 or email info at serenity-services.co.uk and quote FYP to get up to 25% off for your friends and family. Uh, Right, Andy, we've got West Ham at home on Tuesday... Uh, 6 p.m. That classic 6 p.m. kickoff. Uh, JCPFC. Hi, JCPFC. Question: Said when Wilf's back available, and we assume he will be for this game, given there's a eight games, eight days to go before we play, seven days to go. Um, shall we change the formation that we'll see him back on the wing again? What, what's your thoughts on that, and just and the game in general, and how Palace might set up? Uh, no. I don't want to see Wilf tracking back with wingers and doubling up. Uh, he causes far more damage being at the top part of the pitch. I, I do think that some fans, and I, I don't say this is the case for JCPFC at all, but I do think some fans consider it still 2013 and Wilf is playing one side of a front three with Balassi and Glenmore up top, and that's just not yeah. the way we're set up anymore, and it's certainly not Wilf's game anymore. Wilf now just plays with best when he's in, given a f- sort of free floating role in the final third and is able just to go wherever he wants. He doesn't have to play as a, as a rigid nine. He's just allowed to roam and he's far better in that sort of free role, I think, than being pinned to uh, a midfield four where he has to do a lot of donkey work, in my view. Uh, as to the West Ham game generally, uh, West Ham has surprised me a little bit. Obviously, they had a pretty poor season in parts last year, um, having spent a significant amount before last season. And yet they've looked really pretty good under Moyes so far, haven't they? Jack came up with a really interesting hypothesis uh, that Moyes is basically doing what he did at Everton, just transposing new players in, which I thought was actually quite a compelling argument. And um, actually that formula did work at 
at Everton and what he's now doing at West Ham appears to work as well. So it's, it's going to be a pretty tough game. Um, equally, we tend to, in the games against West Ham, not have you know significantly the worst of it. We've, we've had a number of games against them in the last three years where we've had good spells of play and where in some ways we've not actually made it stick, particularly at the Olympic Stadium and probably should have come away with more from the game. Um, mm. But yeah, it won't be an easy one at all. West Ham are playing tonight. Uh, presumably they've got an FA Cup game at the weekend, so we'll be hopefully well-rested by the time we play them next Tuesday at stupid o'clock. But um, <laughs> we've, I, I thought we played very well at the London Stadium. Again, we played very well for an hour at the London Stadium, I thought. Um, deserved to be ahead at half-time. Benteke played very well. So I, I've, I've got a feeling that we will get to a, a half-decent points total, but mainly one point at a time. Uh, at the moment in the next couple of games so I've, I think a point is probably the least we'd expect against West Ham it's slightly annoying that they took a, a punt on Bowen and, and we didn't uh, when we were offering bowl accounts because he looks a much better player than I thought uh, and obviously Palace thought we would be at that at mm. that level but I think as long as we get to grips with, with their strong midfield which is not the easiest thing to do then I think you know going forward Mikel Antonio is their biggest threat and, and they do tend to concede goals but what we need to try and not do is give away silly corners and free kicks like we did at Man City because they will take advantage of that. Yeah, they have scored the most goals, I think, yeah. in the set pieces in the Premier League. And yeah. you're right, the signing-wise, they've made a lot of signings, actually, that probably would be Palace signings. Suchek's done very well for them. Bowen, we know we looked at Ben Rama. Antonio played for Dulwich Hamlet, you know, Palace territory. So, yeah. um, But Ben yeah. Rama doesn't seem to fit, Moyes doesn't seem to fancy Ben Rama. He's looked okay when I've seen him play for West Ham. Oh, yeah, I think he's yeah, been quite tidy does, for them. Again, he doesn't seem to start games, does he? I think he started in the cup game, but I don't think he's been starting many games other than that. Oh, interesting. I mean, uh, Jack Kevin's right. They do have an FA Cup game against Doncaster on Saturday. So, actually, they've got two games in, in a week before they play us. So, hopefully, that rest will actually will, will do us well. Um, and I suspect we'll see, we will see the likes of Wilf come back in, Prosby, Benteke up top, up top again. It wouldn't surprise me if, um, you know, perhaps Wilf could have played on, on Sunday, but the decision was made to yeah. let him have 10 days rest before, a, you know, a game that we have a better chance of, of taking something from. I mean, West Ham, are, West Ham are good this season, and um, I thought the way they marshalled Wilf at the London Stadium was very good. I thought Coop at right-back and Declan Rice playing just in front of the back four did a really good job on Wilf, and Wilf was quite ineffective in that game. So, you know, Art Palace and Wilf will have to kind of adapt to that if... Um, if we're to have you know more luck against them this time, um, but I, I do think West Ham will present a challenge. Um, what West Ham are doing, which they haven't done previously, is win games that they should win. So beating Burnley on Saturday is perhaps a fix they would have lost last season yeah, yeah, at yeah. home with, the, with with fans in the ground. I think you know if there's any club in the league yeah. that's probably benefiting from mm. no fans, it might be West Ham. So yeah. you know it's um, it's good to see them uh, from their perspective having a having a decent season. I, I like David Moyes as well. I thought he did a very good job at Everton for. Um, 500 years or however long he was there. And, uh, he's now he has now returned to you know uh, a formula that worked for him there in terms of you know a big midfielder who's good in both boxes, um, a lone striker who whose work rate is, is is very good. Antonio and you can see why he prefers um, to play Antonio rather than uh, Haller when he had them there. And the likes of you know big signings that cost a lot of money, Felipe Anderson being one for 40 million out the door. And even though it's not working at Porto, he probably still won't come back into the West Ham mm. fold. So. You know, Moyes almost earned the credit that he's now got in his first spell because of the way it didn't work with Manuel Pellegrini in between his two spells. Mm. Um, so he's now got time. He's got a settled squad. The likes of, of Declan Rice and, and Bowen give them energy in the middle of the park. 
um, and they will give us a, a, a proper game in a you know a week on Tuesday, a week a week today. Um, but that said, we gave them you know a really good game when we went to London Stadium, so I'd expect it to be a you know a good match to watch, and um, and I would expect us to be competitive. And if we take something from it, you know, all the better for it. But what it does do is start a sequence of five games um, with also Wolves, Newcastle, Leeds, and Burnley. Um, so you know, as Kevin said, there we are going to want to be increasing our our points tally as we go through those games because you'd presume after those games we've got a, a, mm. a few more challenging fixtures. So if we could be beyond 30 points after those five games from, from the 22 or 23 we have at the moment, that would be a real positive. But yeah, West Ham will certainly be a, be a challenge. Agreed. And you, you hope with a fully rested MacArthur, a fully rested Luca, fully rested Tompkins, Cahill, if he's fit, hopefully we'll be, we'll be ready to go. Um, and that's it for this week's pod. So thank you very much. I think that's a nice place to end. Uh, Kevin, lovely to have you back on the pod, as ever, obviously. Always a pleasure, yes. Uh, Andy Street (laughs) slash Mama, great to have you back on. When will we see you again? (laughs) Mama Street, that's a great name, isn't it? Very soon. (laughs) Very soon indeed. Good, good, good. And uh, Jack, lovely to have you basically in the first team now. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. I'm going to go and practice my my throwings on the left-hand side. Uh, my defending from the left-hand side, a la Tyreek Mitchell, just to kind of add to this co- comparison for future pods. So, solid, solid comparison. <laughs> Good, well, well. Jack, Jack, Jack's got the legs for the, the other three, basically. That's... <laughs> Jack's, Jack's doing a lot of the lot of the running, the fetching and carrying in this in this pod. As we have to take <laughs> a, lot a rest. heavy lifting. As we have to take a rest every two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll be back next week after the West Ham game, so probably a Wednesday pod will have to be next week. Uh, but obviously there'll be a post-match pod for the patrons straight after that West Ham game at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. Try not to get too angry on Twitter. And we'll see you again <laughs> very soon. Goodbye. When it comes to business and meeting travel in Orlando, it's never business as usual. Sure, I could go on for days about all the incredible places to hold your meeting or the innovative industries that will make you feel right at home. But Dr. Michael Edwards of Ocean Insights said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when work wraps up for the day, the evening is just getting started. I'd love to tell you about all the 46 Michelin-rated restaurants, or the array of outstanding dishes that'll have you coming back again and again. But executive chef Guillaume Rabin of Lake Nona Wave Hotel can sum it up better than me. Orlando has a world of artisans, so you can try incredible cuisines from across the globe. It's so true, and there's so much more. So dive in and see what's happening in Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. Podcast Network.